want to thank each one of you for your prayers during the song service and then this last one also, Brother Paul. We can't have enough prayer. And prayer, there is power in prayer. And it's something God gave us. Jesus Christ, he talked about it all the time. Pray, pray, and pray. And he did it. Um, it's good to see each and every one of you this morning as we come before the, the, the Lord in our worship service. Uh, as he, he says, uh, it's over here in Romans. I don't want to misquote it. Uh, but uh, I think it's in the twelfth uh, chapter. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Amen. It's a reasonable service, isn't it? So we have this that we uh, have that God gave us. Uh, you know, He created the the church, and He gave it to us as a refuge, a place of rest a place of worship uh, out of this old world. You know, uh, the church is, uh, you know, it's becoming more and more precious as, uh, and I know it is to you too, as we're confronted with all this uh, sinfulness out here, uh, the foolishness of the world. I, uh, I have something on my mind which I'd like to uh, express to you uh, today. Uh, but in order to do this, um, I think we need, sometimes we have to go back to the beginning or we have to go back to see where the cause, you know, uh, the cause of our trouble, of our problems. And there was a cause. <clears throat> and uh, if we go back to Genesis... Some of this I'll just, uh, I'll be paraphrasing, but some I will read exactly. But if you'll notice over in uh, the first chapter of Genesis, um, you know, it, it, of course, uh, the first five books of the Bible were uh, written by Moses by the divine inspiration of God, putting it in his mind to write down. And uh, Genesis here being the first one, uh, he wrote it down telling us about God creating. Not just us, but everything. And he did. He created everything. How do I know that? I wasn't here, but it's because of the faith God gave me to believe in it. And I believe it. If someone was to ask me, um, you know, how did the world uh, exist? I said, God set it into existence. Now, how, how do you prove that, Brother Darrell? I mean, you know, well... Uh, I can only prove it by saying it's in the Bible, and I believe every word in the Bible is absolutely true. And it says here, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It says, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And it goes on. But you'll notice toward the latter part of this first chapter, uh, after 
in the in that first chapter he says about the animals that he created and about the plants that created and all he does come in and say tell us about us when we were created but if you'll notice in this first chapter i'll just read a little bit of it here and god said let uh 26 verse and god said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth so what that tells me is is that he's making a, a man or he's making someone in his image to be over have dominion over all of the other things that he's created here on earth of the living things fish and fowl and cattle and all these things creeping things creeping upon the earth and then it says and so god created man in his own image in the image of god created he him male and female created he them now here's the thing in the first chapter he gives a general statements about his creation but he doesn't go into specific or detail about his our, him creating us until the second chapter. So as I was studying this and reading this over the past years and all, I thought to myself, why is God just giving us a general description about our creation uh, in the first chapter, but then he waits until the second chapter, which... You know, these are divided in chapters, and they go one one right after the other. But why does he do that? Well, there's a special, certain reason why he does. And we'll see that as we're going along here. And it says, and God blessed them after he said he made them male and female. We don't know how he did it, but we're going to find out in the next chapter. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, have children. Uh, and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you, talking about the male and female, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be for me. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, there, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. Now, did he say anything about forbidding any tree from being eaten of? Not, not yet, see. But he did tell them, you're going to have dominion over all this. You're going to be able to partake of all this. And it said, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Was there anything that was in error? Was there anything that was corrupt? Was there anything that had sin involved with it? Nothing yet. And then it says, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So we know God created everything in six days including man and woman. But he doesn't give a detail until this next chapter. But he starts off saying, Thus the heavens, 
And you know what we're talking about, don't you? The heavens, all of, here's earth, but then everything outside of earth, you know, going moon, star, uh, the, our star, the sun, all these other planets keep going, other stars, other planets, the heavens. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. Well, whatever other things that he's made, other beings, other creatures, I don't, I don't know. But if you say host in here, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. So everything we know was created in six days, then the seventh was a day of rest. And of course, God is going to use that same pattern for us later on. But we see it here. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had, he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now it says, these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Of course, he mentions about the plants, uh, uh, the, every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. Nothing happened until he made man on the sixth day. And aren't you glad he waited to make man the very last thing? Because I believe if man had been made previous, man might have said, well, I helped God do this. But he didn't. He waited to the last thing, and it says, uh, and now, he's going to be specific about his creation of man. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. So where did man's substance come from? The ground that God had made, the earth. Is that one of the reasons why we seem to be so more, much more attached to having a plot of land somewhere we could have our house on? <laughs> no, I don't really know, but we came from the, from the soil. We came from the clay of the ground. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Now he's going to introduce this garden that he planted. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Well, he made a garden, but he put the man in the garden. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. So now he's introducing more in detail about part of his plant creation. He made man and woman, but he made man but then he put him in a garden after he made the garden and he put what plants he wanted in the garden. He put the man in it. He says, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden. The tree of life. Remember that. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So there's two trees. Tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He specifically Names them 
of these trees. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that which encompasses the whole land of Havilah, and uh, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. And he, he mentions all these various things. I'm not going to go into that in detail so much, but there's four rivers. He tells about the properties, about the land around it. And the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Okay, so now he tells the purpose of what he wants man to do. I'm not only going to put you in here, but I want you to dress it and keep it. Do what you need to do to have the plants be nourished and, and, and uh, you know, keep it going. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Okay, now here is where we're going to go into what God wants and what God does not want. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Here's God's law. One law that he made. Of everything that is in this garden. That I want you to dress and keep. You can do whatever you want with it. Except one thing. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You will not eat of it. And he tells the consequence. If you eat of it. You shall surely die. And the Lord God said. It is not good. That the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. See, now now what he does is, although he said before in the first chapter he made male and female, he's specifically telling us how he made the man and now he's telling us how he made the female. He formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, brought them unto Adam to see what he would, uh, as he, uh, is not good. I will make him and help me for him. Adam to see what would call them and whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help me for him. So he says, okay, here's man I made and here's all these animals. But you know what? Those animals are not going to be his helpmeet. God wants him to have a helpmeet. Wants him to have a mate. The animals weren't going to be sufficient. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cling unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. You know, and you hear that a lot, uh, you know, when a minister may perform a wedding ceremony with a couple. 
And it said, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. The reason why I'm going into detail about all this is because I want us to see what man's condition was before the fall, before sin entered into the world. What God made was good. It was very good. What God made, how he made man, how he made woman, it was good. God did it. He gave reasons for them to live. Uh, for one, he said, I want you to keep and dress the garden I made. He made an environment for them. And I can tell you this about the garden. Since he just said this about them being naked. Don't you know that garden had the perfect temperature environment. Here they're naked. Well, if they're cold, they would need something for, you know, to, to cover them. They didn't need it. Was there any danger to them? Uh, did they need anything else other than uh, what God gave them? Not really. Except there's going to be something happen to them in the garden. It's going to change everything. And it brings us to what is going to happen later on to us. And thanks be to God, there's a way out for us. Look what he says here. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Because within their own minds and within their own uh, abilities to understand, there was nothing to be ashamed of. They could look at each other and see each other without clothes on and uh, they didn't feel shame of any kind. They didn't feel that they needed to be covered of any kind. Of course, we're going to see something a little bit here about that. Because you see, they were without sin. They were without uh, something in them that would cause them to be shameful, shameful. Shamed for. Now what has happened? What does God do? Now he introduces the cause of man's downfall. It starts off by saying, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the tree, fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree, of the, of, of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. No one can say the woman didn't know what God said about the law, did he? We can't say that because she repeated it. She knew it. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. He put one word in there, not. It's a lie. He added one word and made it a lie. And what did she say? What did he say? For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Well, in a way, that's right. You know why? Because, you see, before she partaken of this, 
She and Adam never knew about shame. They were naked, but they were not ashamed. They don't know the difference between what's good and evil yet. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, can you be deceived by sight? Yes, you can. And that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Because of what did it have with it? The knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Did he know the same law? Yes, he did. But here it was she ate and gave it to him and he did eat. Now we don't know how it doesn't say the feelings that he had or anything like that. Some people said, well, he saw how his wife, that his wife uh, had transgressed the law, so he's going to go down with her or whatever. Don't, we don't know. But he did take it. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. What was our condition? Before this act, we were without shame. We were in the garden in this perfect type of an environment. But look what's happening. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Because you see, they had access to God in the garden, walking with him daily. But then here he is walking and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Wait a minute. Did they have to hide themselves before? No. Of course, it didn't tell us this, but I can say this. Right here, it's saying they went to hide themselves. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Don't you know God knew where they were? But he said that for our sake so that we would know. What, how Adam was going to respond to God after he had partaken of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. Oh, he said, I heard your voice. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And you know what? God tells him exactly he knew and he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I have commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? The one law he gave them, they transgressed. They did not do what God told them. Listen, I'm not condemning them. I probably would have done the same thing. Hebrews later tells us, that Adam was subject to vanity. Although God made him, he was good, he was very good, he also made him to where he was subject to vanity or he was subject to having some pride and having some some things about him that, you know, uh, Jesus was subject to it. You know how I know that? Because God put Jesus in three major temptations in a mountainside where he didn't have anything to eat for 40 days and 40 nights. He could have been tempted 
but he wasn't tempted. He overcame that. But here was Adam, and he was tempted. He had partaken of that fruit, and look, he recognized, both he and Eve recognized they were naked. And God said, who told thou that I was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat, blaming the woman. Guess what? Now you see the second error that he is that he is mentioning now. He's laying blame on the woman. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The servant beguiled me, and I did eat. Now, the Lord didn't have to ask these questions. He's asking them for our sake, because God knew. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Those are prophetic words of what's going to happen several thousand years later. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. You know, one of the things that may have happened, if they hadn't have done that, when she had children, there would, have been, been, would not have been any discomfort and pain. But now she's going to have it. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. Now, you're to blame, Adam, because you hearkened unto the voice of your wife, and you didn't... Remember to keep my commandment. You're also to blame. And has eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. And in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Did you know if there was any roses then? There may have been roses in the garden, but if there were, didn't have a thorn on them. But after this transgression, there were thorns and there were thistles. Rose is one of the most beautiful plants, but you pick it up wrongly and you will get pricked by the thorn. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And you know why? Because you will die a corporal death. You will not live forever. You are going to die a corporal death. And when you die, you will be buried in the ground from where you were taken from and formed by me. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. You know why, don't you? You know what part of what changed? I'd mentioned it before. Wouldn't the temperature just be just right to where while they're naked they wouldn't need any variation of temperature because they didn't need, wouldn't need clothes? 
Well, I believe this. I believe what changed was not only was there thorns and thistles, but I believe there became seasons to where there was going to be extreme heat and there was going to be extreme cold. And you would need clothes for at least the extreme cold. Of course, you're going to need clothes now because when you see each other now, you're ashamed unless you're clothed yourself. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and also take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the tree of life was there. And if Adam and Eve had partaken of that, it said they would live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims, angels, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. The reason why I went through this this morning is because it's part of what we are going to see as far as this is what man's condition was prior to his sinning, and this is his condition after he sinned. And where does it take him? Where, where, what is going to happen to him? Of course, one of the things it mentioned going into the fourth chapter, they had children, and one of them, uh, two boys, Abel and Cain. Of course, you know, their sin passed through their blood, through their lineage their sin passed because what happens Abel and Cain they give an offering to God Abel's was accepted Cain's wasn't Cain became jealous Cain killed Abel first murder unjustified killing now I'm going to stop there Last month I mentioned about the year of the Jubilee. And in the year of the Jubilee, the 50th year, there was a double year because the 49th and then you add the 50th. Double year of rest, double year. But in the year of the Jubilee, all kinds of things happened. One of them was the land that was possessed was given over to the previous owner. The, uh, uh, the slaves were freed. If you were a slave... You were freed, or if you or were in debt, your debts were forgiven, so <laughs> you're freed from debt. There was something involved in all of this, and it's it goes all the way to the cross of Jesus Christ. But there's a but there's types and shadows of this. And the word I'm talking about is atonement. And listen, as you as you uh Hear the word atonement. It's uh, the definition is uh, it's it's the reco- it's the reconciliation of man and uh, and God through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Now that's how we usually use the word atonement. Uh, it's a reparation uh, that uh, it's 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 given. 
And reparation is a uh, act of making amends, uh, offering expiration, expiation, or giving satisfaction for a wrong or an injury. Uh, the payment of damages. Now, the reconciliation is a restoration of friendship or harmony. One of the things that happened in the garden through that sin that occurred, and here's the thing, they did not corporally die. Adam and Eve did not do a, have a corporal death when they died in the, in the garden. Uh, it wasn't a corporal death. What it was was it was a, uh, a death through uh, sin. Sins and trespasses, the death through sins. In other words, they started to age for one. Their cells, their cells were not going to be ageless. Their sin, their age, their cell, their cells would age. They were going to eventually die if they lived to where they someone didn't kill them. They would live to have a certain age and die. They would have a corporal death that way. But they died in trespasses and in sin. They died. That was the day, he said, in the day that thou, eat, thou shalt surely die. That was the type of death they were dying. The death of sin and trespasses. And it was that sin and trespasses that they died in that was held against them and their posterity. Their children, their children's children, their children, children, children died in trespasses and in sins. It passed on along along the way to where in Isaiah it says there is no there is no one righteous, no not one. No one's righteous. Everyone's a sinner. Those that he died for, those that he didn't die for, they're all sinners. All mankind was plunged into sin because of the one command God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they did it. Therefore, it caused all kinds of problems and there had to be an atonement. Uh, if you look at the word atonement, A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T at one month. Before there is an atonement, God's wrath were upon those that were sinners from what Adam had done. He was, his wrath was imputed unto us. How does that wrath be taken away to where there's reconciliation, there's restoration, uh, there's harmony made again, taking the wrath away? How could it be done? Could we do it? No, because we did not have any righteousness to be able to do it. We're sinners. We're in debt to sin. There has to be an atonement, an atonement. There has to be someone to come and to do something to bring peace back to us from God. Here's the angry father angry at us. His wrath was toward us. But there had to be some way. There has to be a way. 
The Bible tells us that he had devised a means. Now I've gone over here to the 16th chapter of Leviticus. See, I was in the 25th chapter of Leviticus last month when I was talking about uh, the year of the Jubilee, about those various things that were the types and shadows of the year of the Jubilee that was to come. Well, now I'm gone back to the 16th chapter of Leviticus because it's going to tell us what the type and shadow about the atonement is. The atonement. What was the, what were, what was the, what were the instruments that God used in this? You know, He made this tabernacle and He made, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, the mercy seat. He made the, the two tablets of stone, uh, of the Ten Commandments. Uh, He made all these things. He made the tabernacle. He made the Holy of Holies and there was a, uh, you know, this big curtain there. He said, you'll do all of these things in the law service. And when he said for them to do these things, these all these sacrifices of these animals, cows and and goats and turtle doves and all these different things, and they they would make them on these days and all this, it all represented, it all represented him that was to come. Jesus one time he said, search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have eternal life and they, who's they? The scriptures. And they are they which testify of me. The Old Testament testified of Jesus, the one that was to come. How did it testify? Through types and shadows. Through the old law service Commands that God made. And here was one of them here. The 16th. Look what he says here. He told Moses to tell the people. Uh, it said, And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. And Aaron was Moses' brother. When they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil. In other words, you know, Aaron was of the Levitical priesthood and he could go in. But he said, No, now you tell him he can't go into the holy of holy every time now. Into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat. See, what they did was when they made this tabernacle, they made two areas. This area on this side was on this side of the veil, and then there was this veil, and on the other side they called it the Holy of Holies. And within that was the Ark of the Covenant, and there was this golden saddle-like thing placed on it with two angels facing one another. It, it was called the mercy seat. And the priest would go in, could go into the Holy of Holies. You know, he wore a, he wore a type of a uniform that had bells on the bottom of the, of the, of the uniform that he wore. The bells were there for that when he could move. When he moved, the bells would would chime. And that showed people, because they couldn't see him in the in the uh, Holy of Holies, they couldn't see him, but they could hear him that he was still alive. If he did anything wrong in the Holy of Holies, God would strike him dead. Then he'd be dead, he'd be laying there, you wouldn't hear any bells. He says, speak unto Aaron their brother that he cannot come at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat which is upon the ark that he die not. 
for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a holy bullet for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. A bullet was a cow and a ram, male sheep for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with a linen girdle. And with the linen miter shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in the water and so put them on. Everything had to be done a certain way and, and with a certain material. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullet of the sin offering which is for himself. So him being the priest, he'll offer because he was a sinner. Did you know there was one high priest that wasn't a sinner? He didn't have to offer for himself. Jesus Christ. He's the high priest. But here, Aaron being the high priest here, he had to offer an offering for himself, for his own sins, sin offering, which is for himself. And make an atonement for himself. And for his house. Not just him, for him, but for his house, his family. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats. So he'll, he'll have something that shows, okay, if I roll, if I do this, whether it's pulling a straw or shooting dice or whatever, this goat will be for this and this goat will be for that. Two goats. One lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. You've heard of that term scapegoat. Someone that's being accused of something. <laughs> well, there's going to be one goat that's for the Lord and there's going to be one that's for a scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell. And offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive. So that first one, he's going to be dead that's going to be offered, that goat. But this second one is going to be alive. He said, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him. And to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And shall make an atonement for himself and for his house. And shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small and bring it within the veil, within the Holy of Holies. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. He had to do it this certain way or else he would die. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger. He'll dip his finger in the blood of the, of the bull. His finger upon the mercy seat. 
He'll sprinkle, he'll take the blood and he'll sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Eastward. He had to do it eastward, the direction. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. You know what seven is? It's the complete number of God. So he's going to go in, he's going to take, dip the blood, and pointing east in the direction on the mercy seat, he will sprinkle seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock. So he'll do that with his fingers seven times and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. He was doing it for the congregation, see, for the sins of the children of Israel. And because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Is there anyone that was was without unrighteousness? No. They all were unrighteous. Everyone. In this case, even the high priest, he had to, he had to sacrifice for his own sins. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it and shall take of the blood of the bullock and of the blood of the goat and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. After he did all that other, he shall bring the live goat. And this is important about what's going to happen with the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. Look at all these complicated, these specific things. God's, but there's types and shadows involved in this. Here, here's a sacrifice that wasn't killed. It was made to be, it stayed alive. And yet he had, the priest would take the blood and would put it on the head of the goat. This is the scapegoat. And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation, shall put off the linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people. One thing I forgot to mention, 
there was a thing called the Day of Atonement. And this is when this would happen. It's the tenth day of the seventh month of the year. And there would be a day of, an ato- day of atonement every year. The tenth day of the seventh month of the year. And he, and he that let go the goat for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in the water and afterward come into the camp. And the bullock for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall one carry forth without the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins and their flesh and their dung. That's talking about those that were killed. And he that burneth them shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. And this shall be a statute forever unto you. That in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, ye shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. That's on the day of atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month of the year. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls by a statue forever. And the priest whom ye shall anoint and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead shall make the atonement and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation. And for the altar. And he shall make an atonement for the priests. And for all the people of the congregation. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you. To make an atonement for the children of Israel. For all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. The type and shadow. Of the day of atonement. What is it leading us to? Where is it going? Do you know when they took. When the high priest took that. Uh, and put the blood on the head of that goat. The live one. The scapegoat. Where did it say? They chose a fit man. Whoever that man was. I guess he was a man that was a very good. They perceived as a very good man. They took that man and said. Okay now. That the priest put the blood on the head. And it's the live goat. We're gonna, you're gonna lead that, take the goat, you're gonna lead him to the edge of the wilderness and release him. And he's gonna go into the wilderness. He's never to be found in the wilderness. Do you know what that goat represented? Our sins. The live goat on the day of atonement represented our sins the blood was on the head it was released in the wilderness the reason why it was the wilderness is because it's a place where you can't find it does god say any tell us anything about any of this well he certainly does uh, i think i've gone over here to hebrews This is what he says here. You know, in Hebrews, he was telling the the Jewish people, it was the Apostle Paul that wrote this, but he gave it to the Jewish people for them to understand, okay, 
you know all about the old law service, don't you? Well, you know what? There was one that came named Jesus Christ. That's what that law service was about. The sin offering on the day of atonement. The scapegoat, the goat, where the blood was placed on that and he was released. He says, uh, sixth verse, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. You see, the high priest acted as the mediator in going into the Holy of Holies and sprinkling that blood. You see, he acted as the mediator. But no, we have a high priest in Jesus Christ who's on the right hand of the throne of God, and he's our mediator. Established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, the first covenant dealing with all these other things that, that the priest did and what man did, if if that took care of our atonement or our reconciliation or our reparation to God, if that took care of it, then there wasn't any need for Jesus to come and die. Faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, the new covenant. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So it wasn't that Jesus forgave us, God forgave us through Jesus on the cross, forgave us of our sins and wiped that sin debt out and cast them as far as the east is from the west. He's making it to where he doesn't remember them anymore. That was the purpose of the scapegoat being led out into the wilderness to be never to be seen again. That was our sins, you see. It's one thing, you know, someone, you've done some wrong to some person, you've offended some person, and yet, guess what? They can say, I forgive you, but you know what? They remember what you did. Well, guess what God's saying? I won't remember your sins anymore. It's gone into the land of the wilderness through the scapegoat. I will remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. He went on with that. You can go into the ninth chapter and read all about that. But isn't it wonderful that we have this. The atonement by Jesus Christ. And what was it? 
And what was it that was involved in that atonement? Uh, let's see. I'm, I'm, I'll go back here to uh, to this Leviticus, and uh, I think it's uh, here. It is uh, the seventeenth chapter. I think it. Yes. He says here that blood. Remember the blood that was sprinkled and the blood that was put on the the head of the goat. 11th verse of the 17th chapter of Leviticus. He says, well, the 10th, it says, And whatsoever man there be in the house of Israel and of the strangers that sojourn among you that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood and will cut him off from among his people. They were not supposed to take blood and drink, and eat of it. Drink of it or eat of, of blood of, of any. For the life of the flesh... For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Whose blood was it that made atonement for us on the cross? Jesus Christ's blood. The only substance in all the universe that redeemed us back to God that reconciled us back to God, that made the atonement for us. May the Lord richly bless you is my prayer.